You're listening to Selfish. This is where we bring self-care and bravery together to encourage you to follow your dreams. Here's your host, your favorite selfish enthusiast, Allie Hembree-Martin. Tia Graham is the rock star of happiness, and she wants to sprinkle it around like glitter. She took a leap of faith to leave the corporate world, and you will never guess what doors were opened as a result. Tia, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so excited for us to talk. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. So first, tell us about yourself. Uh, oh gosh, where, where, where do I start? Um, so I um, was born and raised in Northern Canada in, in British Columbia. Um, and my parents actually were in the ski industry. So that's sort of my, um, my beginning was middle of nowhere. Um, and, um, so, so grew up in Canada and always had a desire to travel and, and experience the world. Um, I started going to university in Canada, but was pretty uninspired. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. So, I actually dropped out of university and just started traveling, um, and, and sort of just working, et cetera. And, um, pretty quickly realized that what I was really passionate about was, um, working in the travel industry. So I ended up moving to Honolulu uh, and, and that is where I, um, started studying tourism. And, um, after I graduated, I, I began my, um, sales and marketing, um, ho- hotel career. And so I worked in luxury hotels in um, Waikiki and Honolulu, also on the island of Kauai. Um, I worked in New York City and Istanbul and um, Los Angeles and um, had an amazing, wonderful career. Um, And when my life really changed once I had my two girls, which I'm sure a lot of um, parents can relate to. And, um, I'd always had this idea of having a happiness company probably started when I was about 30 years old. I'm almost 40. Um, and and so about three and a half, four years ago is when I started working on my current company arrive at happy. And, um, maybe we'll get into, to the how and why in later questions, but that's sort of a little bit about me. I don't know if that's too much. No, that's perfect. (laughs) Um, and that's kind of how I found you. Forbes um, recently did a feature on you about why and how you left your corporate job. And you really began teaching yourself more about happiness. And led that led you to starting this happiness company. So I would love to hear, you know, was there one moment where you really felt like, I'm not happy, I need to figure this out? Or was it kind of the culmination of, you know, several events that kind of led you to making this jump? Great question. So um, I'd always been very, very career focused and had, um, you know, almost loved being a workaholic. Like I just always have really loved working. And I was, I think I was emotionally and psychologically unprepared for the change that having kids, like I knew that it would be change, but I don't think I was really mentally prepared and emotionally prepared for it. And Mm -hmm. so that was a huge adjustment for me who had always, um, you know, just it sort of work fun 
and friends. And that's, it was just like on repeat. And, and obviously it's a huge, huge adjustment. And, um, so I started feeling unhappy going back to work after having my second daughter, because I didn't feel like I could, I was balancing everything. And I definitely had mom built in, in missing, uh, my first daughter, a lot of her, you know, uh, experiences and things. And so that didn't make me feel very good. And then when I went back to work after having my second daughter, so my second maternity leave, that's when I really, really felt unbalanced. And I'd always, I've always been this positive, optimistic person. And I've always found ways to get back to my scent, to my place of joy. Even during, after difficult times, I've always found ways to get back there. And after going back to work, after having my second daughter, it was the first time that I was like, oh, this is my new normal. Like maybe I'm not this happy person anymore. And it was very, very scary. And I felt completely stuck. For those listening now that may be looking to make that leap into entrepreneurship, you know, can you share with us some of those mistakes along the way that you made that maybe we can learn from? Or, you know, kind of what what are things that you wish you could go back and change now other than doing it sooner? A big lesson for me was that I had had the title of director of sales and marketing. I had that same title for, for, um, 14 years. And I just had worked in different hotels, um, around the world, um, internationally and domestically. So, um, I didn't realize how strong that title was tied into my own self identity. And so there was a lot of fear in leaving. Like I was, you know, I sort of had this, this perception, like, okay, I've spent 15 years building up this career. I have, you know, a network of thousands of people in this industry and all of this stuff. And it seemed so scary and almost impossible. Like, how can I change? This is who I am. This is what I do. And I would go back four or five years and what I would tell myself hindsight looking back is you're not a director of sales and marketing. That's just what you've done for 14 years. That's not who you are. And the other, the other lesson is that, well, there's, there's probably a lot, but another one that comes to mind is that your network, whether it's, um, in a certain industry, whether you're working in finance, whether you're working in advertising for me, it was all in, you know, sort of luxury hospitality that network stays with you. And even though you might be doing something different, a network is still a network and there's still tremendous value in your network. And so many of my customers now with Arrive at Happy are coming from that hospitality network. So why it looked like scary to, to change and do something else, I think I definitely underestimated the value of of, of those experiences and, and of that and, and realized that actually it was it was a support to, for me to change, not a, um, not a block, if that makes sense. Um, so, so that's one of just like, who, who do you see yourself as? What identity do you have for yourself? And what is that preventing you to do? Because that, that caused me to have a lot of questioning and uncertainty and even fear in making this change. And so that's, those are two big things that I would tell myself, would have told myself, you know, five years ago. I love that because, you know, you built up that network throughout your career, but even though you aren't doing 
that career anymore, they're still there to support you. And I think that that is something that is often lost. Uh, We think as soon as we leave that job, everything that we've built up goes with it. Right. Oh, yeah. I... I, I fully thought, and I was like, this, this is all of my, um, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of value that I'm walking away from. That's what I kept telling myself. That was a one story I was telling myself and not the case at all. I mean, people are coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, you know, we'd love to work with you and amazing. You're doing this new thing. We want to bring you in. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's funny how powerful stories we tell ourselves can affect us. And then once you, once you do something different. You're like, oh, that wasn't a helpful story. (laughs) Mm, I love that. And a a phrase you use often is happiness is not a destination, but resides inside of all of us. Yeah. So obviously there was a time where you did not feel the happiness and you thought you had lost it. So tell us more about that and kind of that realization that it's not lost. Roughly, and this is an average for all people, but Roughly about 40% of our happiness is based on our choices. And, um, you know, there's, there's about 10% based on our circumstances and, and from our genes, it's about 50%. Again, these are all averages, but there's a tremendous amount of, um, a tremendous amount of possibilities of how much joy and contentment and purpose and happiness you feel each day on how you live your life. And there are all of these different, you know, levers that you can pull. And there are some things that are universal that make every single human being feel happier. And it's the realization that inside of you, you have this inner child. And all of us, when we, you know, when, if you're five years old or six years old or eight years old, whatever it may be, you know, you think back to a really happy time in your childhood and, you know, babies, as long as they're fed, our inner state, our natural state is this sense, is this place of happiness. And so it's tapping into who you truly are and what matters to you. And knowing that at any given time, there are so many external voices telling us what we should do, whether it be your parents, your religion, your culture, your friends, etc. But having a keen sense of who you are, being centered to who you are, and and prioritizing your own happiness. A lot of people put other people's happiness before their own, and sometimes it comes from a sense of love. You know, there's there's other reasons why. But the amazing thing is that when you, when we increase our own happiness, we are truly benefiting everyone around us and the ones that we love the most benefit the most because it's this open loop energy. So let's say, you know, the mom of the household, or maybe you're in a workplace when you're coming with a sense of joy, that energy is positively affecting everyone around you and lifting everyone up and inspiring everyone else to become happier as well. What is something about happiness that we would be surprised to find out? That living a happy life is not living a life that is void of unpleasant and painful emotions. Um, One of the most interesting and 
really, really impactful things that I've studied when I've been studying the science of happiness, which is positive psychology, is that um, this Harvard professor, Tal Ben-Shahar, calls it the per permission to be human. And this is really the acceptance of life having peaks and valleys and that all of us are going to go through really, really difficult times and have challenges and have obstacles. And it doesn't mean that you're not living a happy life. You know, you, there are all different things that you could do to increase your resilience and build up your, he calls it your psychological immune system. So build up that, that, um, the immune system so that when things do come along that really cause you extreme anxiety or sadness or fear or anger um, or, you know, stress, grief, all of these painful emotions that you're just better equipped to, to deal with it um, and that you can truly build up a, a much, um, a more positive relationship with your painful emotions we don't treat our emotions equally. You know, we, we see our, our pleasant emotions as positive and we actually call the other emotions negative. Um, but you know, all emotions can be treated equally. And so that was pretty, um, pretty amazing to me, sort of learning all about the painful emotions and how painful emotions are truly a part of a happy life as well. Yeah. I'd never thought about it like that, but I mean, it, it, it comes with it, right? It, it's part of the journey. It's part of the ride. So um, I think once you acknowledge that, it's easy to move past. Yes. And happy um, Martin Seligman, the founder of Positive Psychology, um, talks a lot about just, you know, what happier people do, how they are. And one of the main differences between happy people and unhappy people is that happy people see events, they see everything in life as temporary. They understand that nothing is permanent. So that when you have a huge challenge, like let's say, you know, you get fired, um, happy people perceive it as, okay, I got fired, but it's not like I'm going to be unemployed for the rest of my life. You know, they, they see everything as temporary. And so there's an impermeance, um, in it. And, um, I think that really, really is very powerful and helpful when it comes to painful emotions, knowing that this too shall pass. I think that's a great reminder. Yeah. So making that jump of that stability with a corporate job and going into business for yourself, what's been the most rewarding part of that journey? I would say there's there's actually there's three things that come to mind that are so rewarding and and I, I on I feel like I'm in a bit of a dream right now that it's actually happening. So the first is having more time and feeling more balanced with have with career and family and friends and time for self. So overall when I just sort of look at my life and I think of it as a rainbow with all of these things in it. Um it feels so much more balanced. The second is that um, it is beyond fulfilling teaching others about happiness as I lead, when I speak and I lead workshops and I lead retreats, 
Um, and I also, uh, coach, coach clients one-on-one every single time that I, um, after I finish a talker and when I get off a call with the client or, you know, when I finish my Malibu retreat, for example, it is beyond fulfilling. I mean, I, I just feel so grateful that I'm able to, to partner with people and help with people and, you know, hopefully shift their perspective and inspire them. Um, and the third is, I, I feel like I'm, I'm every day waking up and the work that I do is truly aligned with who I am and it's on purpose. I've had, um, you know, family friends from when I was a child, let's say my parents' friends who have reached out to me because they see what I'm doing and they say, gosh, Tia, you know, this couldn't be more perfect. Like I remember you as a kid and, and just how you were and, and how, what you did with the other children. And this is, this you're this is so aligned. And that's, that's what it really feels. It feels like I was born to do this. And, and not that I wasn't born to lead sales teams and do marketing for hotels. I think I, I felt very aligned and that, that was an amazing, amazing career. Um, this just feels like there's nothing else I should be doing. And, and, and I will be helping people become happier for the rest of my life. You're where you're supposed to be right now. Yes. Yes. So with Arrive at Happy, kind of share, is it uh, a mix of coaching and retreats or what are you focused on more uh, currently? So currently, um, yes, it is a mix. The majority of the time I spend um, working with clients one-on-one and later this year I'm going to launch my first um group. So have a group of six or eight people and and really work together on elevating, um, happiness and well-being. Um, and then the other part is really leading, um, corporate and organizational workshops and doing speaking. Um, I am working on my next retreat. I think it might be on the East coast with, with a partner. Um, but my goal once I get going is to be doing, um, you know, about three retreats a year, maybe one in Malibu and then two in other locations. Um, and I have some exciting projects that I'm working on, um, for the fall that are sort of, um, day experiences. So not a full retreat, um, but something that's sort of a, a eight hour, um, happiness experience here in Los Angeles. But the majority is sort of, uh, coaching and workshops and speaking right now. That is so cool. Now tell us, I mean, this, I feel like this is the overarching question. Why does happiness lead to success? When your mind is at positive, when you are optimistic, there are a, a lot of studies out of um, University of Penn and Yale and Harvard that have proven that you are 31% more productive, you are more engaged and that you are more successful at whatever you are trying to do. And when I speak of success, I talk about it in all areas of life. This means success in your relationships, whether that be your marriage or partnership, you know, your relationship with your children and your friends and family. It also means health and wellness. So when you're coming from a place of happiness, you know, you are there's, there's a much higher chance that you are going to stick to the healthy habits that you want to have. Um, 
et cetera. And then of course it translates into, um, you know, your work, whatever, whatever you are doing. So it, it, you have this, um, your mind is at this, this place where it broadens and it builds and it's really the optimal place to be doing anything. And so what I tell all of my clients and, and every group that I speak to is that instead of trying to get to, to achieve something or to get to some goal, whatever that may be in your life, personally or professionally, and if you are really at a place and you're not, you know, you're not at this um, state of well-being, focus on that first and everything else in life, once you do that, every path, everything that you're trying to achieve and go after it's going to be so much easier to get there and it's going to be a lot more enjoyable as well. Hmm. So it's definitely something we need to be striving towards and working towards. Yes. So switching gears a little bit now to just you personally, um, obviously with this show, we're focused on self-care and coming from the hospitality world, um, I have to assume that you... Um, have been exposed to spa treatments and self-care practices. So what are your favorite ways to be selfish? Um, my favorite ways to be selfish are movement. So I've always been the, I've, I've always known how positively movement um, affects my mind and then, of course, body. But, you know, for me, I've, it's always – I've just loved how it's made my mind feel. So I will, um, you know, tell my husband, like, hey, you got the kids for the next hour and a half. I'm going to go do yoga. Or I'm going to go for a quick – you know, I live in Los Angeles. We live close to the Hollywood Hills. So, you know, I'm going for a quick 30-minute hike or whatever. So really prioritizing that. Mm. Um, sometimes I'll have my kids do it with me, you know, in my living room. That's one way. Um, another way is sleep. Um, sleep is so important for self-care. So I will, um, you know, every single night at a minimum, try and get seven and a half hours of sleep. That's really, really important to my self-care. Um, spending time with girlfriends, even though, you know, it's busy with work and the kids and, and everything else. Um, I definitely prioritize time with with my friends and, you know, do dinners and, and things like that to just have that time to, you know, relax and giggle and, you know, just, just sort of release. And, um, I just think that that's, that floods my mind with positive emotions whenever I'm around, whenever I'm around friends. Um, and the other one is travel. So travel has always made me so, so happy and luckily, my husband has the same um, value. And so we've always put travel before sort of material um, things or, um, you know, that's just always been a big part of our life. And so we will we will try and do, you know, little weekend trips. This weekend, we're going to Santa Barbara. I'm leading a workshop up there. Um, but just trying to sort of continuously explore the world and even traveling in the our own city, you know, going to explore different areas and neighborhoods that we haven't done. So, um, that's a way that, that really sort of fills me up and, and creates a really nice halo for, you know, the, the coming weeks or the months sort of after, after travel. Those are four great ones. I love those. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I sort of always feel like I wish I had more of, of everything. I would say still, I feel like it would be nice to have a little more time with my girls. I'm trying to work, obviously, starting, you know, as I'm building this company. Um, and I'm uh, the other big one I, I thought of was um, meditation. So I'm pretty good at meditating regularly. But there are some days and it's not, I'm not at the place where every single day is a practice. And that's one of my personal goals is to get to a place where um, meditation is is just like brushing my teeth, um, getting in at least 10 minutes a day. So that's something that comes to top of mind that I would like more meditation in my life. Mm, I'm right there with you. What is next for Tia? Um, an exciting project I'm building on is, um, or creating is something that I'm calling a happy culture. And so this is a product that I'm working on where I would go in and work with the leadership teams of organizations where there is low engagement and there's turnover and productivity is low. Um, and working with a leadership team in an organization for anywhere from, you know, three months to nine months I'm envisioning and working with them to really change the entire culture of the organization and infuse it with positive leadership and optimism throughout the company. So that's something at the very beginning stages, but I'm excited about. That is so cool. I mean, Tia, you have just like the dream job. So uh, I'm so glad we got to talk and hear more about what you're doing and hear some of the facts behind why focusing on being happy is an important thing for us to do. So thank you so much for talking with us and I hope we can all arrive at being happy sooner rather than later. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure speaking with you and I hope we can stay connected. Like what you just heard? Visit us at SelfishThePodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes today.